0: Philippians chapter 2. The end of the chapter is where we will be at this morning. I was asking a family, tell me about Kenneth. I said, I don't know anything about Kenneth. I never met Kenneth. How do I? Uh, you need to tell me about him so I can prepare to do this funeral service for him. Here's what the family said He was a great runner. It's okay. He was an excellent athlete in track. He was a great competitor. He ran marathons. He was a great runner. And I've got my notebook there and I'm waiting. Uh, I I was asked, a family needed someone, needed a pastor to do a service. They didn't attend attend our church. A man named Kenneth and their family had passed away. And so they needed someone to come and, and do the service. And I said, well, tell me more. He was a great runner. You've told me that three times now. Well, you know, he ran this marathon. And I, okay, what else about Kenneth? And it was like pulling teeth to try to get the family to tell me about this person who had passed away. There was very little said about him other than he was a great runner and a couple other accomplishments. And I went to that service and uh, um, did that service. And I had told the family, uh, I said, I'll do the service as long as I can preach the gospel. And I realized that the room was filled with people who did not know Jesus. And the greatest accomplishment in Kenneth's life was that he was known for being a great runner. And it made me think about every single one of us. If you die before the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, what will be said about you by your family members, your friends, your friends, I've done numerous funerals and memorial services. The difference, funerals are for people who have had no regard for Jesus Christ. Memorial services are celebrating what Christ did in the life of a person uh, who is now with Him. And in both funeral services and memorial services that I've done and attended, I've heard numerous and even had to read numerous eulogies that the family writes. Usually they're eulogies that go in the newspaper. They're eulogies that people want to see on a, on a memory page online. And I would say that uh, a vast majority of the ones that I can think of um, are very well written by family members. Uh, they're, they're really kind of like a speech. And for funerals, they praise the person's accomplishments in lives. And for memorial services, they praise Jesus for the work that he did in their life. They're night and day different things when I go to those. What will be said about you after you die? What will your family say? If they were writing a eulogy, and you're like, I don't care, I I only need to please the Lord God Almighty, it's true, but what would be said about your life? Because all believers have to give an account to God, uh, not judgment, but an account for everything that he's gifted you with, everything he's given you to steward well in this world, which is why we look at this text today. But will it be said that person was a hard worker? She was very kind. He was a, a, a very encouraging person. Those, that, that, that person gave all of their money to help this community event. This person was very involved in the town or the city, whatever. I mean, what would be said about you? You might say, well, I don't even think about this, this morning. But I think that you should, in light of what we read, what Paul says about two men that he points out uh, who are servants in the body of Christ. We have just read and studied over chapter 1 and most of chapter 2 together over the past few weeks. And we've seen that Christians are to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ And, as we see with Timothy and Epaphroditus, to be living examples of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. As we look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, we see Timothy, we see Epaphroditus. He speaks of them and how they serve among the kingdom of God. And the scriptural truth this morning from the text is this, follow Jesus' example by humbly serving and showing a concern for the welfare of others. Look with me at chapter 2 beginning in verse 19 through verse 30. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have none, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of the Word. And Holy Spirit, help us to apply the truths of Christ in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. So we come to the end of chapter 2, and the Apostle Paul, after laying out what it means to live the worthy life of a Christian, he now gives two examples of men who are living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you go back and read chapter 1, he speaks of this. And so we're going to look at Timothy, we're going to look at Epaphroditus. Timothy, the first one, he is described as a proven, faithful servant. Can people say that about you? Do other people say, oh, that person is a proven faithful servant of God? Is that said about your life today? If not, I would say begin, start praying now. Lord, would you work in my life, Holy Spirit, change my life, that that would be said about me, that I would be seen as a proven faithful servant of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus I hope in the Lord Jesus. And we can't get past that uh, short phrase there because our hope is not in man's wisdom. Our hope is not in physical strength. Our hope is not in the great plans that we have for our life. Our hope is not in our governmental leaders or world leaders. Our hope is not in our family. It's not in our jobs. It's not in our school or education. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one, as Paul described, who is king of kings and lord of lords, who every knee will bow and confess that from their mouth. He is our only savior. That is the one that we have our hope in. If your hope is in anything or everything else in life, it will fail you. And you need to turn to Jesus today and place your hope in him alone. It's clear here as he he points this out in his letters when he writes this that the Apostle Paul cares deeply for the church. He cares deeply for the body of Christ. You read through his letters and you see his concern not only for their encouragement, not only to show them the love that he has for them in Christ, but also to correct them, to rebuke them, to encourage them to change from the ways that they are going. And here he hopes in the Lord Jesus, verse 19, to send Timothy to them soon. Now, why is Timothy the person he's going to send? What is the reason for sending him there? Well, we must be reminded that Paul is in Rome, in chains, in prison, and so he cannot go to all these churches and these places that he's gone and shared the gospel, and people came to Christ through salvation in faith in Christ. And then the churches were built up and leaders were put in place. He can't go and see them physically, so he's going to send a messenger. He's going to send Timothy, someone whom he knows well, to be able to give him an account, to go and check on them and to come back. It says, for the purpose, in verse 19, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. If you go back and read Acts chapter 16... Uh, you'll be reminded of the Apostle Paul and the men that were with him as they came into the city of Philippi before there was a church there and God opened up Lydia's uh, heart to the gospel of Christ and she was saved and it mentioned also the the, the jailer of the, of the Philippian jail that he came to Christ and so the church began there and Paul has been away and he's, he doesn't have necessarily a report other than what he points to with Epaphroditus coming to him and serving him and telling him what's going on, he hopes that he can send Timothy that would go and serve them. And he says there in verse 20, there's no one like him. What does he mean by that? For I have no one like him. There are others, when you read the book of Acts, that were with Paul when he was in prison. There were others who came and served him. There were others that he names in other letters that were with him, that traveled with him. Why does he say there's no one like him? Well, the word actually means like-minded and that Timothy then has the same compassion for the church and a heart of care and service for the church just like the Apostle Paul. Now, The background on Timothy is when Paul meets Timothy, Uh, Timothy was raised by his mother and grandmother. At least they're mentioned uh, as though they feared the Lord. They raised him in the truths of the word of God. And so when the apostle Paul came to Timothy, when Timothy came to Christ, uh, Paul says, follow me. And Timothy becomes a young guy who is a young guy who follows him as one of his disciples. There were other men that Paul was discipling, but Timothy uh, is mentioned a number of times. There's two letters in the New Testament, 1 and 2 Timothy, that Paul writes to Timothy, this young man of God, and tells him how to live his life. Addresses all kinds of things in the sense of don't be afraid, preach the gospel, He tells him and encourages Timothy in areas of weakness. He warns him, just like other men struggling with even lust. He says, how to guard yourself of these things. He says, teach these two, the men that are entrusted to you. Timothy was charged with a lot to train up, to um, hold men to the qualifications of elders in the church. And And Paul says, there's no one like him that is like minded like him to send. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes to the church there in Corinth and it says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, speaking of these others who had gone before and had shared the gospel with them, he says, You do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. I always uh, puts a smile on my face when you see um, a parent walking with a child and the child trying to copy exactly what the parent is doing. Maybe um, if you haven't had this experience growing up Um, on the west coast and going to the beach and seeing an adult walking through the sand and a child taking these big steps trying to stay in the boundaries of the steps. They're falling over because they can't keep up or whatever. When I think of those things, I think of this relationship that Paul has with Timothy and it's the relationship that every single one of you should have. There should be a, a Christian that is farther along than you in the faith who you should be following. If you're not following another believer, then you are missing the call of the body of Christ. At the same time, you should also have a younger, spiritually, person who is following Christ who is looking at how you follow Christ as you look at others who follow Christ. But the whole key, it's all about Jesus Christ and his word, which gives us the guide and the Holy Spirit who directs us in that way. I would encourage you to take away all your excuses that you put in your mind of why you sh- you, you're not committing to follow after other believers or why you're not leading others. Because I think I've heard all the excuses over the years. Uh, Christians, they fail you. Of course they do. Uh, if you knew this experience in my life, you would never trust another believer. If you, if you knew these people, I tried to lead them, I tried to teach them, I tried to guide them, but they just ignored everything I said. You have no good or right excuse to not disciple others and follow others who are, and be under those who are di- discipling you. You don't have an excuse. Some some will say, well, the Holy Spirit is discipling me. Yes, the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you. Yes, God is sanctifying you. But if it weren't for God's word, we would then not know that we are to disciple others and to be discipled by others. So take your excuses like I have given myself over time and throw them out and pray and say, Lord, bring me to the right people that I should be following after As they follow Christ as an example, as well as leading others in in, in the way of Christ to follow them. Paul says, for I have no other like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. When it says genuinely there, if you want to highlight that, circle, underline that, it means naturally that Timothy had a willing heart, a concern for the church that just naturally flowed from his heart. Do you have that church for the body of Christ? You might say, hey, I love other people. But do you generally and naturally have a concern for those in the body of Christ as well as those who are outside the body of Christ? But Timothy has this, and therefore the responsibilities given him to raise up other shepherds to lead the church became natural in his life because his concern was for the welfare of the church the problem we have today is that many churches um, find it very difficult to find elders, pastors who care for the flock naturally, as a care, uh, a, a love for the church. There are too many elders, pastors in churches in this world who are in it for the prestige, for the title. For, uh, like the Pharisees who want to be recognized, they're in it for the wrong reasons. There's way too many of them. And so we must pray. Pray for the elders of this church. Pray for the other churches in the body of Christ around the world who need elders who naturally care for the body of Christ. Read Ezekiel chapter 34 this week. Ezekiel chapter 34, God rebukes through the prophet Ezekiel the shepherds of Israel Because they were not guiding and guarding and feeding and shepherding the flock. They were scattering them. And so that's a great passage of Scripture. If you want to say and look in the body of Christ, are the the, the elders of the church ministering to the church? Go to Ezekiel chapter 34. If they're living and acting like the shepherds of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 34... Then they're not qualified when you read 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. They're not holding to the responsibilities of 1 Peter chapter 5. Pray that there would be men not in this church alone, but in other gatherings in the body of Christ who would be like Timothy, as Paul says, who would have a natural care and love for the church. In Philippians chapter 2, we read this just a few weeks ago. In verses three and four, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of who? Of others. This is the description we saw a few weeks ago that we saw in Jesus Christ, which Paul says is found in Timothy's life as well as Epaphroditus' life, and it should be in your life. Every single one of us, verse 2 and 3 of Philippians 2 should be a descriptor of how we are living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timothy was about Jesus Christ and Jesus' kingdom and Jesus' people instead of his own interests. And Timothy learned from the example of the apostle Paul and Barnabas and others who learned that, that from Jesus and he then in turn Was able to lead others. But there are always, as I mentioned, those who claim to be Christians but never seem to follow Christ verse 21, Paul says, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And we already saw this in chapter 1. Again, the warnings of those who would be in the church that would be all about themselves and not about Christ and his glory in the body of Christ. Verse 22 says, But you know Timothy's proven worth. He writes to the church, says, You already know Timothy. Think about other people who know you outside of the body of Christ here. Or maybe include the church here and other Christians outside. Can people say about you what Paul says? But you know Timothy's proven worth. How a son with a father has served with me in the gospel. In one of the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy had charged him to be an evangelist. To fulfill his duty as an evangelist. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, he says, As for you, <clears throat> always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And just like Paul gave Timothy a charge, Jesus has given you a charge. I mean, think about this for a minute. Jesus has given the body of Christ a charge. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and I am with you until the end. Your charge is to go and make disciples. As Paul made disciples with Timothy and others, and Timothy did that with others, you read Titus, the instructions given to men and women in the church, The older men discipling the younger, the older women discipling the younger women. I mean, you read these things are given for you. Not just some church 2,000 years ago, but it's for the body of Christ today. That means if you are a follower of Christ, this is for you. It's not just about mentioning Timothy and Epaphroditus and those good guys. Oh, I remember reading about them and they did such a good job in the church. No, Paul points them out, and at the end of it says, don't just honor them and give thanks for them, but again, you should be also following their example because they're following Christ's example. It's not a hard thing to understand, church. It's not some mathematical problem. We've got to figure it out. The Word of God is written plainly, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have understanding. So pray that the Holy Spirit would give you understanding even about the life of Timothy and Epaphroditus and that you would follow accordingly as the word of God calls us to. It says proven worth. He says you know his proven worth means to be proven, to be given approval or a proven character. Again, back to Philippians one twenty-seven. Look at that chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's what your call is to be. To live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul says here in verse 22 that uh, he served with him in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we also, we always have to ask, what does that mean? If I'm to be serving with other believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what does that mean? It means that you as a believer are to preach and teach and herald and proclaim the gospel of Jesus And then we must always ask the question every single time we gather so that we do not forget what the gospel is. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is the fact that every single person in this world is born with a sin nature. And we, with that sin nature, have continued to sin against the Lord God Almighty and in our sins if we die we die and go to hell where the where god the father and his wrath is upon us for eternity but god but god in his grace in his mercy sent his son jesus christ who would come and live and add humanity to his divinity and he would live a perfect, sinless life and therefore he could go to the cross where he was nailed and he bled and he died and he bore God's wrath meant for you. And his blood that was shed is the only thing that can not just wash over, not just cleanse you of your sins, but as we read last week, Remove your sins completely. And that by faith in Jesus Christ, that not only what he did on the cross, but on the third day he rose from death to life, your faith in him saves you. And he's the one who gives you the gift of faith. So he gets all the glory for saving us, and we praise him and say, thank you, Jesus, that by your grace and your mercy, that I'm forgiven of my sins through faith in Jesus Christ, and I can be with you for all eternity. Church, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are not to rely on an elder, a pastor, to preach the gospel to you and to others. You should expect that and hold them accountable from Scripture. But you are also a servant in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus. So you are to go and herald the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. So with that, before we briefly look at Epaphroditus. Paul wants to send him there. He hopes to send him soon. He trusts in the Lord in these things. Again, he says he has proven worth. He says, you know his proven worth, a servant of the ministry of the gospel. What about us today? Again, can people say about you and I? Their proven worth. I know their proven worth. That person, he or she, is a servant in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That person loves Jesus, and they are serving the kingdom of God by declaring the gospel to their neighbor, their co-worker, their schoolmate. They're going to the ends of the earth on missions to go and declare the gospel. They go into this place to go shopping, and while they're there, there's an opportunity, and they speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, all the places that you go, are is your worth proven that you are a faithful servant of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's the question you should leave with this morning. And I pray... As I look around the room and know that many of you are, and I can say, I know their proven worth. I pray that the rest of the world and this body of Christ would see your life and say, yes, they love Jesus. Yes, they are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're doing it all for the glory of God and none for themselves. Look at verses 25 through 30. The second person, Epaphroditus, is not mentioned as much as Timothy. We don't have a lot about him other than we know in chapter 4 of Philippians, he's come to the Apostle Paul in Rome and he's brought a gift from the church in Philippi to meet Paul's needs. Most likely, there was financial needs. Maybe there was clothing needs. When you were in prison there at that time, again, they're not providing for all your needs, and so you need loved ones to provide for you, and he brings this gift. But as I read these last few verses about Epaphroditus, I picture this description, a servant in action, a person who is very zealous, in, and you see it in how they live their life. Um, over the last, I don't know, six or seven months, a person that comes to my mind in this world who's very zealous about things, who's very dedicated to things, is a guy named Elon Musk. He's very dedicated in advancing the field of space and, he, and, and, and colonizing Mars. I mean, this guy, he works night and day when you read about his life, that he will work hours and hours and hours to the point that he had a bed put in his office so he might sleep for a few minutes and he just constantly is working. Not only is he the CEO of Tesla, but he also is behind all kinds of things with solar and all this stuff to to have sustainable energy. But when you hear him talk, when you see what he does, when you see the amount of money he spends and the time that he commits, that guy is zealous for what he set out to do. You see what he does in action. And he's probably on the news every week at some point. You probably, again, probably know exactly who this person is, know a lot about his life, but he's committed to what he's doing. Here you have Epaphroditus who's committed to living the worthy life of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's serving the Apostle Paul by traveling from Philippi to Rome with a gift. And he's, as Paul says, risking his life to do so. Are you risking your life For the gospel of Jesus Christ and the glory of God. That's the question that we must ask. Verse 25, he says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. You need to go back and read verse 25 this week. You need to look at every one of these statements. I'll tell you what these mean in the original language. Because these descriptions, if they're said about you as a follower of Christ, glory to God. I mean, he says he's a brother, a brother in Christ, that he has a Christian brother, Epaphrodite, who he cares deeply about. But he says he's a co-laborer, a fellow worker, and he compares it there as, as it, or being a companion of the gospel work, suffering for the gospel. He says he's a fellow soldier when you read Scripture, and, and Paul uses terms of that, or the body of Christ. He's a fellow soldier in the service of Christ. And he says, your messenger... The word means a delegate, or specifically, an ambassador of the gospel. Philippi sent Epaphroditus. We have no description that tells us that he was a leader in the church. He's just faithful. He was a faithful servant, ready to go at a moment's notice. When they sent him there, and that's what he did. As he went to the apostle Paul, and he says to the church, "Your messenger, your ambassador," and he says, and he says, "And minister to my need." And I want you to pay attention this week to the word minister when you go back and read it. Because it ties in seamlessly with the first two chapters we've read. It means to be a public servant in this sense. Are you a servant of Christ? Are you a minister, a servant of Christ? That's the question of examination as well. Can that be said about your life? Paul goes on verse 26 and says, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. You see, whatever Epaphroditus did on on his travels to get to Paul, however long he stayed there, whatever he was doing to serve Paul's needs, at some point he gets sick. So sick to the point of death. And what he says is, Philippi, heard the church heard back about it. And, and Paul doesn't describe their worry for Epaphroditus, even though I'm sure that they were worried for him. Look what he says. He describes this, this picture that, that Epaphroditus is worn down and has this heavy weight because they know that he's been sick. Have we risked our lives for the gospel of Jesus like Epaphroditus, where we face trouble in this world. I'm not just talking about death. I'm not just talking about sickness. But I'm talking about all kinds of persecution that comes for the name of Christ. Epaphroditus risked his life. Turn to Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15... This is right after the Jerusalem council, and so the apostles and the elders now are sending out this letter, and so I want to read to you from Acts chapter 15, verse 22 through 27. It says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders, with the whole church, to choose men from among them, and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. Did you see verse 26? Men who have risked their lives for the name of who? Jesus Christ. Are we risking our lives for the name of Jesus Christ? You might say, well, the the United States is not like Um, Christians facing persecution in China or in North Korea or over in this country or in this city or this place. That may be true. But Christians are facing persecution every single day here in this country. You look at everything in media, everything that's written, everything on the news, books that are out there, the angst, 99.99999% is against Christians. You say, no, it's not that bad. Jesus warned the disciples, not even warned them, but told them that anyone who loves Jesus, the world will hate. You can sugarcoat the world messages all you want, but the world's message is we hate Jesus and we hate everyone who follows Jesus. Church, that is persecution. And I pray the Lord would open up our eyes here, the church in America, to see persecution is at hand. And you may very well in your lifetime, if Christ doesn't return before you die, face not only verbal persecution, but physical persecution. And part of the duty and job of the elders of the body of Christ around the world is to prepare the body of Christ to preach the word of God that you would not be surprised when persecution comes. And you would be encouraged by Jesus' words that says, when you stand before courts who bring you into that place to persecute you, the Holy Spirit will give you the power and strength to stand and to answer for the name of Jesus Christ. And so Epaphroditus risks his life. In Acts 15, they send men who risk their lives all for the name of Jesus Christ. You read Hebrews chapter 11. You read of men and women who stand for the faith of Jesus Christ. And they were killed for it. They were murdered for standing for their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would be found faithful to stand for our faith in Christ, and that we would also be found faithful to be servants in action, just like Epaphroditus, verse 28. It says, "And I am, the more the, I, am more, I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He really wanted to send him back as soon as he could. When he says he's anxious about it it sounds like this worried sense of like he doesn't want him to die. He wants him to send him back to encourage the the church that they would see Epaphroditus again who they had sent out. But he says receive him with joy Because God had mercy on him and healed him. Rejoice when he comes back to you. But then here's a part that some people struggle with. In verse 29, it says, And honor such men, for he nearly died for risking his life for your service to him, to Paul. It says to honor such men. You're like, man, that's... That's a hard thing. Or how do we do that? Or it feels like an awkward thing to do. Or We're not supposed to honor anyone but Jesus. We're supposed to lift Jesus higher than any person. The word honor there, when it says honor such men, figuratively it means to be valued, uh, to uh, be more honorable or precious in reputation. And he says, honor these people, these men who are zealous and faithful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're to be highly loved, encouraged, and regarded. And so in this sense, when you read other letters that Paul writes, when you hear of other men that he points out, when he mentions other women who are partners of the gospel of ministry, one of the things I would encourage you and say is this, you need to be committed to, to honor those who serve Christ in action by praying for them? Are you praying, not just for the elders myself, are you praying for the faithful servants in the body of Christ here at Discovery, in the city of Missoula, in the state of Montana, in the United States of America, the Christians in all the countries of the world, are you praying for them? Even the ones you don't know by name, but you just know of a city, You know of a country and you're praying for them. Would you pray for them and pray for one another that we would be faithful to the word of God, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would pray that we would be servants and that what we do, the actions would be that we are serving Christ and his kingdom. Would you commit to encourage other believers as they follow Christ? Again, again, Not to praise them or give them glory more than Christ, but to encourage them because they may have been persecuted merciless this week in their jobs or in their homes or where they've been. Come alongside of them, encourage them. You know, one of the things that I'm thankful for, for people who serve here at Discovery, is I'll go up and tell one of you, thank you for doing this or serving in that, and, they're like, and, and people be like, oh, no. Because there's some humility there, and I'm so thankful that there's some true humility in this church. There are those, like he said in verse 21, who seek their own pride. And, and they're the people who love to be like the Pharisees, paraded in front of the people and to be thanked. But I'm so thankful that the body of Christ here, that we can encourage one another. And, and people are like, well, I, don't, I want to make sure that God's honored in this. What a place to be. That's what I picture in Timothy and Epaphroditus. That's what I picture in the men and women that Paul mentions throughout the letters in the church. That they honor God And so I bring this to a close with this. What will be written or said about you after you die? I know for those of you who are in Christ, it doesn't matter one bit because you're with Jesus. But what type of life are you living now and how will it be described after you die? are gone from this place. The Apostle Paul encouraged the church in Corinth who is struggling in sin. And he writes to them in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, as we think of that verse, we think of Timothy and Epaphroditus who are mentioned. We think of all the names of others in the Bible that are mentioned in the New Testament of uh, people who love you and serve you and follow you. Father, I pray that the body of Christ here would grow in our faith, that you would continue to sanctify us and make us more and more like Christ, that you would remove all of our excuses that we have for why we don't want to disciple someone, or why we're not following after another. Again, that the focus would be those who are following you. Father, I pray for protection over the body of Christ. I pray that you would encourage those who are seeking after you and desire to serve you in your kingdom here. And Father, I pray that you would protect each one and you would encourage them. And Father, for all those who have heard the gospel preached to them today, who are here and came into this place with no regard for you, maybe they're here because it's Father's Day and they're honoring their father. Maybe they're here because a family member or friend has drugged them here this morning. I pray that today... You would open their eyes to the gospel of Christ, that you would open them to your grace and mercy upon their lives, and today would be the day of salvation. They would believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and that you would save them. Father, as we close and we sing our praises to you, may you be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.